0: I'm Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult, where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hello. Hi. How are you? I am doing pretty good. It's almost my birthday, so I have eaten all the chocolate-covered strawberries that I found in the grocery store, and I tried to book myself a massage, but... They didn't have an opening until two weeks after my birthday. So now I get to go to the spa twice on my birthday I mean, and like it's, after. It's so. Pisces
1: season. It's it's your birthday for an entire six weeks. basically. Exactly.
0: So yeah. it's all all starting to come together now that it's actually my time. <laughs> How have you been?
1: The only thing that is, I am paying attention to these days is my veggie plant babies have all sprouted. So I've got all the nightshades going nice. in the spare bedroom under grow lights and they're like coming up and like looking good. So nice. extremely, extremely satisfying.
0: That's so good. Mm-hmm. I haven't murdered my peace lily plant yet. I've had it since October. Wow. Good job. i so proud of myself. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's on the edge. Like it's not super happy, but it's still alive.
1: Okay. All right. We'll take it. So we'll take I'm, it.
0: I'm taking that win. It's, <laughs> it's amazing.
1: Well, while we've been doing our, you know, in-depth deep dive research wise into this uh, parental rights three plus question mark parter that's going to come <laughs> come out later, we wanted to talk with one of our f- friends of the pod um, about one of these evergreen topics that I have been dying to discuss on here for ages. So, uh, Anna, why don't you introduce yourself?
2: Hello, I'm Anna Olson. I am currently a uh, editor and proofreader for mostly for erotic novels. But before that, I was a student planning to, uh, a student majoring in linguistics planning to become a member of Wycliffe Bible Translators. So I have a bachelor's in applied linguistics and a master's in analytical linguistics, and both of them from Trinity Western University, which is in British Columbia, Canada.
1: Is that like a big Wycliffe school?
2: Trinity Western is probably one of the biggest Christian universities in Canada. It's a private university, but it is uh, officially accredited by Canadian uh, accrediting institutions. So while they are religious in uh, their, like you have to take religion classes, they're very much like Christian worldview stuff, but they also have to meet specific standards set by the government in order to continue issuing degrees. So, if you take a science class, you're going to learn about evolution, which surprisingly angers some people, <laughs> which is hilarious. Uh, yeah, that's
0: not surprising to me.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, when, when I was going there, there was a guy who would periodically show up and like protest in front of the entrance to the university about that. Of course. Uh, of I mean, course. What yeah, else? just like one guy. Like, what he cared enough to love, show up. I love that, like, <laughs> Yeah.
1: There's so much, there's so much happening in the world and that is what he chooses to make his issue.
0: Right. Like, you know, what is the crux of all of this? The fact that this school teaches evolution.
1: Yeah. That's really the big problem. problem.
0: That's the one we need to solve. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So the linguistics department at Trinity Western university is a, uh, is connected to Wycliffe Bible Translators. Back in the 80s, SIL, the, which is the academic branch of sort of like the academic education branch of Wycliffe Bible Translators, started uh, a set of summer classes on campus at Trinity Western, and that slowly developed into year-round classes and then them forming the linguistics department. So the university admin like this because it means that their linguistics like, like staff is like, like most of the instructors there are great, like they're, they're great at their jobs, but, uh, they're also funded by Wycliffe Bible translators, which means the university has to pay less for that department. <laughs> so, uh, the admin loves that. Aha. Yes. So they started off just like our uh, offering courses and some certification, uh, expanded that to a bachelor's and later expanded that to several master's programs. At this point, they offer a bachelor's uh, degree in linguistics, a, um, three different master's degrees. I took the master's in linguistics. Uh, the other one that was available when I attended there was a master's of linguistics and exegesis. So about half of your courses were in the linguistics department and then half of your courses were at the seminary next door. And then they've added another one that's got more of a heavy uh, translation focus that wasn't available when I attended there. And then they also have a PhD program that is basically a PhD in translation. So a little bit more focused on like the semantics and translation work rather than straight up linguistics.
1: Okay. So for those who don't know what Wycliffe is. Can you take us all the way back and, like, all right? How was it founded? How did we get here?
2: <laughs> okay, so for Wycliffe, if you want to, uh, so we're going to go all the way back to 1917, when an American missionary named William Cameron Townsend went to Guatemala. His plan was to distribute Bibles written in Spanish, but most of the people he was interacting with spoke uh, a language called Quichico; they couldn't read Spanish. So Townsend decided that everybody deserved to read the Bible in their own language. So he learned the Cactico language. He created an orthography and translated the Bible into their language. And then after he returned to the U S he decided that he needed to start training more missionaries in linguistics work to make this possible for other communities. So he, it was Wycliffe Bible translators was officially founded in, 1942. And he's also started a or sort of a side organization of Wycliffe. It's basically they were the same thing. And then they sort of like partially separated. Uh, so it, So he started what was called the Summer Institute of Linguistics, which was summer courses in linguistics, because most people were taking Either were either working during the year or they were taking degrees in something else, and offering linguistics courses in the summer was a way to like fit that into their education. So it usually occurred on the campuses of host schools, uh, sometimes sometimes Christian uh, colleges and sometimes non-Christian colleges. Uh, there's an SIL branch at the University of Oregon in Eugene.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: Uh, yeah. Eventually, many of these programs started like branching out into becoming more comprehensive, partly because linguistics turns out to be something that just teaching a few summer courses isn't really enough to give you a grounding in working with <laughs> no,
3: a language it's
2: not. <laughs> where you have to learn it from scratch. So, um, Yeah. Townsend would also later, found, a few years later, would found a technical support organization for Wycliffe Missionaries the Jungle Aviation and Radio Service, which is known as JARS, J-A-A-R-S. Mm, mm-hmm. And they specialize in aviation and communication. So particularly in those early days when they were often like sending people out into very remote areas without a lot of the communication networks that we have now, mm-hmm. um, they were a, that was a really vital service uh, for keeping this whole organization going
1: and it's still pretty big and it is, important yeah. to their work yeah
2: yeah yeah so i don't know i like i didn't interact with to my knowledge i didn't interact with anybody who worked with jars uh, because their training school i think was mostly located in the us not sure on that honestly cuz i was mostly focusing on the linguistics side of things
1: i have an extended family member who was flying for them for a while yeah
2: okay yeah so Wycliffe is one of the big, is probably the biggest uh, Bible translation organization, but they're not the only one. There's a lot of smaller ones that both in local countries. So you'll get Wycliffe working with a Bible translation organization that's located in the target country that they're working with. There's also ones connected to smaller denominations or to just smaller organizations in general. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a classmate who was a member of Lutheran Bible Translators uh, when I was at uh, Trinity because she needed the linguistics training and that was the best place to go for the type of training she needed, but she wasn't going to be joining Wycliffe specifically. She was already a member of Lutheran Bible Translators.
1: Right. Uh, But Wycliffe is kind of held up as the gold standard of this kind of work.
2: Yes so Wycliffe
0: is like the place you would go if you wanted to like be a missionary or like support missionaries and like all of the different kind of spheres that entails so you have like the bible translating and you have the like air aviation comm support and like Mm -hmm. is there like normal evangelical Training alongside here as well. That there, there is seminary. There is
2: some. Um, you get people within the organization who focus on outreach or on scripture literacy. the The idea is that it's it's all good, well and good to translate the Bible, but if the people aren't going to like engage with it or use it, then that's not kind of a wasted project. So there right. is there are people who do both linguistics work and evangelism work or people who specialize in the evangelism work. Um,
0: That makes sense.
2: Yeah, and it's not uncommon to sort of specialize in specific areas. So you'll have the people who are gathering the language data. So they'll go talk to the locals, they'll get information, they'll talk to them, they'll have them share stuff about their language, they'll work on understanding the structure of the language and the so both the grammar and the Mm -hmm. phonology of it, which is the sound system of the language. And then there's, and there's, those might be the people who also work on creating an alphabet, but the, it might be a different part of the team who does that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you might have a different group who works on the literacy program once they do have an alphabet established uh, because Again, it's all well and good to translate the Bible into their language, but if nobody can read it, that's not particularly helpful either. Right? Yeah, it's
1: it's it's fascinating to me how much of an impact their work has had on like the field of linguistics as a whole, because there's yes, they're often absolutely. the first people in doing
2: this kind of documentation, which mm-hmm. is like,
1: really wild.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, one of my professors in uh, some of his work first in, um, uh, in China, he ran across a couple of undocumented languages because China likes to sort of group non-Chinese languages into just big groups. So they're like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, you're all part of this minority community, therefore you speak this language. Uh, but he was able to gather data that indicated that, no, there's a couple, there's several distinct languages within this group here. So there's a lot of important like linguistics documentation work of endangered languages that happens there, which I think is really cool. And that was the part of the work that I was mostly interested in, but there's also the, Concern that what they're doing is is the purpose is for evangelism and not necessarily for the benefits of the people whose language that they're documenting. Right.
1: Yeah, and it can be really problematic to like have someone from outside the community being the person to mm-hmm. document it, like the way the colonist mindset gets embedded in like how the language is turned into writing can be really weird. Yeah. Yeah. If it's not someone from within the community who's, who's creating the alphabet and and building out the.
2: There is a, they are leaning more towards starting to working more with people in the community. So you'll have a linguistics consultant in the area who might be working on several different projects because the locals might not have the education background for working for the language analysis, but they have the they know the language. So just providing consultation work rather than doing all of the actual work for them. And I think that in some cases, that's a that's a good move. um, Because that gives people more owner that gives the locals more ownership over the project if they actually want it to be that if they actually want that project to go forward.
0: Right. So. so what, does Wycliffe have a denomination that it's associated with? Because there's obviously like, you had a classmate who was part of the Lutheran yes. group. Yes,
2: yeah. And I attended a Lutheran church at the time. One of my classmates who attended at the same time was Anglican and a member of Wycliffe Bible Translators. Basically, if you're Protestant, uh-huh. of, of whatever flavor of Protestant, you're kind of welcome there.
1: And it's often more mainstream rather than like the yes. more intense fundies, like the Baptists yes. kind of do their own thing for my...
2: With translation in particular, you have to do a lot of thinking about, well, what does this actually mean when I'm translating? Mm-hmm. How do I think about writing this so that the people that I'm writing it for understand it? You, you, you come to have an understanding that translation has... Like there's always going to be some inherent bias to it, but th- there's mm-hmm. also, it's, it's squishier than a lot of, uh, than the more strict versions of scripture interpretation allow for. So yeah, I feel like you there's, know, it's
1: like inherently problematic for people who are, you know, hardcore yeah. literalists to yeah. engage in this work.
2: It's, it's a lot harder for them to do that. Not impossible. Like they, there are people who do get involved and are more hardcore literalists, but that is less common because you have to be a little more malleable about it
0: Mm -hmm. right
2: you do still end up with people leaning kind of conservative um so they are not particularly lgbt friendly for example uh i know yeah and they're also like very insistent on like like they want um people who join the organization to be either debt-free or like very close to debt-free. Um, oh my God. I forgot. Oh, about that. That yeah. is a thing. Yeah. They did allow for like some amount of student debt if you were joining the organization, but I think it was like a minute at the, I,
1: uh, there's I th- a cap to it. Yeah.
2: Cap to it. Back in like 2007 or so, the cap was like 20 grand.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, which is like one year's worth of education at a lot of American mm-hmm. universities, for example. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you, you you would have people who would be planning to join, but also be like, well, I can't join yet. I have to like pay off my student loans first. So, <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Interesting.
2: Um, yeah. And part of it is if I get it, if you're fundraising for your salary and part of that is going to pay off your debt, I, I get that idea that you don't necessarily want the people that you are fundraising from to be paying for your like you know student debt or whatever i i I get i mean yeah
1: it's usually like like the american dollar will go a lot further wherever you're placed in these kinds of remote communities so like it makes sense that yeah you know
2: yeah i i get that i mean i I, like
1: in Peace Corps, like i remember people would like be squirreling away money because they weren't living off of everything they were Being paid and they were being paid fucking pennies. Yeah. Um, But they were still able to, like, you know, squirrel some savings away. And that makes sense that they would want to control that.
2: (laughs) Yeah. One of the aspects of this that was at least to my benefit when I was attending at the master's level was that they offer a lot of bursaries for students going to the school uh, Mm. because they. They're like, we want to make sure that you're able to both afford to go to the school and to um, not have to worry about taking out student loans to complete your degree. So I, between working as a teaching assistant and tutoring and then the bursaries and then a little bit of mine and my spouse's own money, uh, we didn't have to take out any loans for my master's degree, which was really nice.
1: Nice, yeah.
2: Yes, although we we just finished paying off our bachelor's degrees, so yay! <laughs> Congrats! <laughs> yeah, it took a while.
1: <laughs> yeah, so one of the things that really fascinates me about them is like they are like the least problematic of the missions orgs, and they were kind of like held up as, I mean, they are so academic, so it seems yeah. like a really like good outlet for. You know, uh, I don't know, female coded individuals <laughs> to be, if you wanted to be like educated and single and like travel, this was like the really good option for that.
2: Yes. Yeah. So
1: it was at one point aspirational for me as like, this mm-hmm. is one of the only things that's available of this sort.
2: Yes. Uh, that is absolutely a factor. You get. The balance of uh, people in the program was when I started my master's degree, it was the specific program I was in was mostly men. Like I would say it was about mm, 70, 30, maybe 60, 40. Uh, Mm -hmm. But by the time I was graduating, it had switched to like the pendulum had swung to the other side with that specific program. Uh, and then the uh, Masters in Linguistics and Exegesis program very much had a more female dominated um, uh, program because you just got a lot of women who wanted to, who were interested in this work or interested in academics. And this was what, this was a space that they could be a more academic, educated woman and have some kind of power in these kinds of uh, in a more conservative organization. Mm -hmm. So usually what we, what I would see was, is that if there was a man attending the school, he was either married or he found a partner by the time he was graduating. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, For women, um, many of them were single and stayed single. And in other cases, like you would have a husband and wife couple who were attending together, uh, and I was unusual in that I was married, and my spouse was not attend was not a linguistic student. Um, he, uh, my spouse, is a chemist. And so he was working in a, for a chemical company while I was going to school. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and so they never, like most of the people that I went to school with never saw him because he was working at the same time I was at school. <laughs> and right. Yeah.
0: That's interesting. Um, That's funny.
2: Yeah. So I was kind of this like odd one out as far as that went because I was married, but my spouse wasn't there. And, and, mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have kids at that point and
1: <laughs> just really breaking all the molds there. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: You're getting an education while your husband is working somewhere else without children? What?
2: Yeah, I know. Shocker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Yeah, like I don't remember anybody commenting on it, but it it was a little weird at times.
1: <laughs> um earlier I kind of called them unproblematic, but we know that's not the case. What What's their, what's their deal? What do you, so what did you find? I know you did some digging here.
2: I did do some digging. Um, so I found a couple of articles, uh, one by Forbes in 2013 and then a more recent one, um, from an organization called ministry watch that is focused on promoting financial transparency in Christian organizations. And they have a lack of transparency regarding their finances um, really? What yes. a shocker! Yes. So, according to the Forbes article uh, in 2013, Wycliffe USA had an income of about 167 million, and they claimed uh, and about 1,500 language programs of various kinds, and that would be them being involved both in programs that were fully Wycliffe or joint programs with other. Uh, translation organizations or like smaller things where it was like partially involved in like a literacy program but basically language programs covers it's a big umbrella and Mm -hmm. at the time they also had about uh, 5,500 staff members and then Forbes was a little confusing to follow I'm not good with like numbers but they did state that Wycliffe International which is connected to Wycliffe USA so, Wycliffe USA's uh, main offices are in Florida. Wycliffe International's main offices are in Texas. Mm-hmm. And Wycliffe okay. International, in that year, claimed about five million in expenses. Seventy percent, seventy-seven percent, went to staff salaries and training. Ten percent of that went specifically went to translation work, and less than two percent of that five million went to printing actual Bibles.
1: That's a really small amount of that income.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I mean, paper isn't that cheap.
2: Yeah, their biggest expense was uh, transportation, which makes sense because if you're flying people overseas, that gets pricey. Uh, Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That makes so much sense. yeah.
2: Yeah. But it's still a little dodgy that they've got a lot of income, but they're only claiming a relatively small amount of expenses. And... Uh, for so the Ministry Watch report discussed how the they described it as the Bible translation industry, and <laughs> they discussed the actual cost of a Bible translation versus the stated amount that different organizations claim. You get organizations claiming, well, we can do this for a hundred grand for you know in a, you know, a Bible translation. Uh, which mm, the those are like the sketchier organizations that aren't actually particularly effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That feels, that then, feels
1: low compared to the amount of labor that would need to be. Exactly. Put into and that, then, and the, the amount of education that you'd have to have to yes. do that work.
0: Like, is that yeah. like one person per year being paid pennies? Like what? Yeah.
2: And then um, other organizations estimate up to about a million um, Ministry Watch's estimated cost for a translation is usually about is around thirty million, uh, mm-hmm. which like that's a lot of money. And mm-hmm. when there's a lack of transparency about where that money is going, how it's being spent, and also about how long it's taking them to to produce this translation, you can take it can take up to twenty years to produce a Bible translation, and which is like
1: really fair this is hard work this is a really long text this is like a text that has like so much cultural complexity that doesn't translate well into other environments so like that makes sense that feels very reasonable to me
2: it does make sense some of that time is also reflected by the fact that like it could take 30 years in some cases in um or in earlier times when they had less support and they were working less with local people who wanted a translation Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it can take about seven years for a new testament and then up to 16 for the entire bible sometimes a little more sometimes a little less it's going to depend on the individual project but it does mean that um Wycliffe has like some very lofty goals uh when I was attending school, the big thing was their Vision 2025, which was, the, they're like, we want to have a translation started on, you know, all all languages that need one by 2025. Mm, wow. Um, at that point, I think we were looking at about 700 language translations total for the Bible, like worldwide, when, and there were... Literally thousands of languages left.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: So, um, you're not looking at something that was like it was. It was a very big goal uh, that has quietly gone away. <laughs> 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 Just a slightly, so a, a little, a little bit, bit more
1: languages than they yeah. thought.
2: Yeah. And it's not that they didn't necessarily know that there were that many languages, but they're like, we're going to, like, ramp up our training programs and get a bunch more people involved and make this happen. And, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know and, what to tell you, but the economy.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I remember one of my professors saying that the Vision 2025 push was actually a problem because it meant that you would get admin pushing linguistics teams to, like, skimp on the linguistics research. (laughs) And he was like, that's not. we all know
1: how a bad translation can (laughs) affect things.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, basically, there's a lot of money coming in through donations and grants and things like that not sure where it's all going that's it's also like a long
1: time to be embedded in a community without oversight like i can imagine (laughs) i feel like this is part of why peace corps only lets people stay for up to five years like Mm. all told and usually that's split up between different communities like they don't want you to just like be let loose in (laughs) a community without without like good oversight and accountability Mm -hmm. like how did, did you find anything about any sketchiness with with that
2: i didn't i did a little bit of googling if i wouldn't be surprised if there is that happening but i also wouldn't be surprised if they're keeping that quiet as as quiet as they possibly can right Um, but just given the, the nature of evangelical organizations and what we've seen with other organizations.
1: Yeah. um, And marry that with like the nature of like the kinds of people that like being expats. It's
2: not great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
2: So, so yeah, that is, yeah. The, the other fun, uh, controversy that I did run across, um, was, uh, again, about a decade ago, there was a kerfuffle over a, uh, some translation choices that translators were making <laughs> for uh, a translation uh, somewhere in the Middle East where they would be working with Muslim communities. So the tr- phrases like son of God and God the father mm-hmm. aren't necessarily, they don't translate well into predominantly Muslim communities. Uh, that familial language is considered kind of offensive um, because you shouldn't be like referring to um, your deity like that. So tra- the translators were subbing in Christ, which is like, okay, here's like the specific like title for you mm-hmm. know, Jesus or using the phrase beloved of God, which is uh, also used to describe Muhammad and his role. So, mm-hmm. Some of the Western churches uh, that supported Wycliffe, when they found out about this, lost their tiny minds.
0: <laughs> so, of course.
2: yeah, because it had ramifications for uh, Trinitarian theology.
1: Yeah, you really don't want to, like, get the Protestants going on that.
0: No. Topic. No. The one central tenet everyone agrees on.
1: Yeah, right? so, easy, easy, easy and uncomplicated <laughs> agreement. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, so both the Assemblies of God and the Presbyterian Church made a really big stink about this. Um, there was actually one translation that was like pulled and revised. I think the translators were like, we'll, we'll keep the, our translation, but we'll leave a, We'll put some footnotes in. and and i'm like honestly that's probably the best compromise to be like this is what it translates to in the original you know greek but this is also how we're translating it to help convey the kind of meaning right yeah i think annotation is probably the way to go when you have some conflicts like that um
1: language is just so slippery it's it's really difficult it is So why didn't you continue down this path, and why aren't you working with like Wycliffe today?
0: Slash, also, why? How did you end up there? All right.
2: (laughs) So this starts when I was about thirteen at family camp.
0: Oh, fun!
2: Yes. So I don't know what that
0: is, but it sounds great.
2: All right. So (laughs) there was a Christian retreat center that my family went to for their family camps every summer. So um, there would usually be like a guest speaker for each week. We usually went during the week that uh, the Sisters of Mary, which is a Lutheran um, organization, um, they're they're Lutheran nuns, basically. Um, So it was uh, so we were going on like the Lutheran nun week because Mm -hmm. that that was we were Lutheran. Uh, But one of the time, one of the weeks we were there, uh, there was a couple who worked with Wycliffe also there that week. And so one evening, the they were asked to say a few words about the kind of work that they did. And I remember, like, I was sitting in the back with the other teenagers, and I was like, I started listening, and they started talking about linguistics and language work. And I was like, that, that sounds cool. I need to do that. You know, in typical teenager plus ADHD fashion. <laughs> right. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Straight (laughs) down the rabbit hole. It's fine.
2: Yes. Um, this particular couple worked somewhere in South America. I don't remember where, honestly, I don't remember a lot about what they had to say other than my brain being like, yes, this, um, (laughs) (laughs) that's fair. (laughs) Um, so I looked up a little bit about linguistics over the next couple of years. And then as I was heading But I still didn't know a lot about Wycliffe or uh, what the work that they did. But when I was in uh, grade 12, so I was finishing up the last couple of classes for my homeschooling diploma, and then I was also going to community college, and I decided to call up the local, uh, like the nearest, like Wycliffe Bible Translators office and talk to them. And because I was looking at where I wanted to go for a university degree and I knew I wanted to major in linguistics, but a lot of places didn't offer, uh, a lot of places in my price range didn't offer undergrad degrees in linguistics. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to know, like, I was trying to figure out what to do. So, uh, the, there's a branch in the Portland area that's like, they're like an office and then they run like seminars and things like that. And so, and they weren't too far from where my family lives. So I called them up and the administrator I talked to suggested I come to one of their uh, week long info workshops. Uh, at the time it was called total it up and total was like some kind of acronym, but I don't remember what it stood for, but you basically like came and stayed at the, um, uh, in like a dormitory for a week and took some intros cl- uh, courses on linguistics and, Talked talked with a few different uh, people who'd worked with the organization over the years about their experiences. And it was sort of just like a little like dip into the this is what we're about. And if you're interested, we can, you know, direct you other ways. So uh, I loved the linguistics uh, side of it. Like I we did a little bit of phonetics, which is uh, phonetics is the uh, study of the sounds that the human voice can make. And we focused mostly on English um, sounds because they just wanted to teach us a few and get us kind of like used to the idea of writing something down phonetically. And Um. uh, we did a little bit of phonology, which is the study of sound systems. So how those sounds that the human voice can make interact with each other in a system within a language. And then a little bit of stuff with grammar and a little bit of stuff with like translation and understanding how like translation is a little malleable. And uh, they also talked a bit about, like, some of the evangelism stuff that they did. We had a few people who'd worked in different areas. There was one guy who'd worked in Papua New Guinea, and he talked about some of his experiences there. Uh, Papua New Guinea, because it's a very hilly area and there's lots of, like, very isolated communities, is a very language-dense area. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of, like, people who end up in that area of the world.
3: Yeah, my mom had, my yeah.
1: mom had one of those... Wycliffe Guy's memoirs in the yeah. house when I was growing up about yeah. that, that work in that area.
0: That yeah. explains why all the stories about translation come from there.
2: Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I th- there was a couple who'd spent time in, I think Eastern Africa, but I don't remember the country. Again, like I was 17. This was like mm-hmm. 2004. So my memories of it are pretty fuzzy at this point. And there was a woman who had done work with uh, the Munduruku people in South America. I don't remember specifically where that is, but I think it's somewhere in like the Amazon area somewhere. And like, I remember the name of the people group, but not the name, but not their location. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, so she basically, she was basically retired, which meant that she was no longer like, because like she and the woman, other woman that she'd been working with on the translation had finished the translation and then they were back doing basically like odd jobs and stuff for Wycliffe to kind of justify their funding, I guess. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing is, is that like there's like actually like a retirement fund that you can donate to for Wycliffe um, uh, missionaries, because if you commit to doing this, like your whole life, you're not going to have like a retirement plan or something or savings that uh, other people might have. Right. Right type of work you do with them.
1: Which, like, I think goes to speak toward the established nature of this organization. Like, that's the kind of thing that, like, a lot of these orgs should have done for their employees, but, like, haven't. And because yeah. Wycliffe is, like, you know, more legitimate, mm-hmm. uh, that's still in air quotes, um, yeah. <laughs> they, they, that's something that they've done that, like, you know, is is a, a benefit of their their longevity.
2: Yeah. Let's see. So, anyway, that that week was really fun. I really enjoyed it. I was even more excited about linguistics and I had already looked into a couple of different linguistics programs at several different schools. And I lived in the Portland, Oregon area at the time. And so, Portland State University was on my list of possibilities because they did offer a linguistics program as well as University of Oregon, which has a linguistics program. And then they also have an SIL branch like right there that does some affiliate work with them. I ended up finding out about Trinity Western University and uh, their linguistics program in, I think, the fall of 2004. And I decided to go ahead and apply and at the time between the exchange rate and just like the amount that american universities even even american like state colleges the amount that they charge it was actually cheaper for me to go to trinity western and live on campus than it was for me to live at my parents house and attend portland state wow <laughs> um, so it literally
0: cheaper uh, to go to canada
2: yes Damn. yeah I probably, I might've been able to get more funding coverage for my undergrad if I'd stayed in the States, but it was still like, it was like, okay, you know, this might, like, this might work. And I did a, I did a campus visit and I liked the school. I liked the vibes. And I also really liked the idea of getting out and going somewhere else.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, That's relatable. Yeah. Not living yeah. at home is a big perk.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah yeah like
1: after you've been homeschooled <laughs> like yeah. i don't want to live with my parents anymore bye
2: yeah like i'm I'm the oldest of four and two of us like left at around age 18 and went oh, and, and moved away and then uh the other two did stay and live with our parents and worked and lived at their house uh for while they finished uh their university and that was um you know, so like we all made different choices for different reasons and you know it worked better for us and, you know like kind of, it was kind of like the the more introverted ones of us were like we're leaving now
3: <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. yeah
2: so i basically i packed up my life and moved to canada on my literal 18th birthday <laughs> and, nice <yeah. laughs> And uh, I met my spou- my future spouse during our first semester there, and we started dating by, like, our second semester at the school. And at the time, he was uh, a chemistry major with the thought of being pre-med, and he was like, I'm going to be a missionary doctor, because that seems like uh-huh. something that, uh-huh. you know. So, yeah. we should do.
1: obviously, linguist, missionary doctor, perfect pairing. Right. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Like, pride of the school, clearly.
2: dream team
1: power couple
2: yeah so you know then like he has adhd and at the time he wasn't receiving like any kind of treatment for that so like the last couple of years of uh undergrad were a little bumpy for him i also had untreated adhd but that kind of for me that manifested more in depression instead Right. And then because he's Canadian and then I was American uh, when we got married, I, I was eligible to apply for permanent residency through being sponsored by him. But when we first got married, he wasn't making enough to sponsor me. Like there's, there's an income threshold you have to meet. And oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I like, cause you're committing to like support the person for a minimum right, of right. five years. Yeah. And yeah. So yeah that it's, it's that a makes sense. Thing. Yeah. So, I was like, well, I can get some funding uh, for a master's degree and get a renewed student visa more easily at the moment than I could get my permanent residency. So, we'll do that. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's <laughs> sure.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, so I started my master's degree like the fall after I graduated with my uh, bachelor's and that my spouse found a job in um at a chemical company that paid okay and we you know and so he was I got I I, while I was attending there I got my application for permanent residency in and then I finished my coursework and my application was in so I couldn't leave the country but my student visa had expired I was allowed to stay in the country
0: yep (laughs) but I was allowed to work so I spent like familiar with this
2: yeah so I spent a while in immigration limbo um, (laughs) trying to finish my thesis
0: (laughs) fun no pressure yes
2: yes. and then I got pregnant which gave me kind of the kick in the pants I needed to finish my thesis because it was like well I I won't be able to finish this if I have like a tiny human like (laughs) right (laughs) yeah so I finished my thesis and defended it while I was like seven months pregnant wow yeah
0: dude (laughs)
2: And Bad during ass. my yeah, and then during my pregnancy, my uh, permanent residency thing finally came through. So it was like, okay, I can I can work, I can I can live here, I can leave the country and come back in, like <laughs> yeah. And I had already at that point realized that I wasn't going to be a good fit for Wycliffe. Like that kind of hit. I wasn't entirely like I was still kind of wanted to be part of Wycliffe when I was finishing my bachelor's. And then I started my master's. And in that first semester, I was just like, I like the linguistics. I like the theory. I like the nitty gritty. I don't like the idea of doing the translation work. I don't like the idea of having to be like constantly around people in this environment that, you know, like is not necessarily going to like <sighs> I'm an introvert. And I was also really depressed and didn't know it at the time, but just like mm. the whole thought of everything seemed very overwhelming.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're like, <laughs> you've already done immigration limbo. Like yeah, it um, that, feels, <laughs> yeah. feels like it would not really help the, the brain chemistry no. situation to like, no. isolate yourself further.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I because I was really depressed, I did a lot of detaching from like the social community at the school. So I would, I would go to classes, I would, I worked part time at the library and in the tutoring center, I uh, TA'd for a few courses over the course of my time there. So I would, I would, you know, do my shifts at work, I would do my office hours. And then as soon as I was like, done for the day, like, even though I could stick around and hang out with people, I, I just headed straight home because I felt like I needed mm-hmm. to be in space and it wasn't yeah. anything necessarily that anybody else was saying or doing there, but I was really depressed and it took a while for me to get help. And when I did. And that environment
1: like, is not conducive for getting that kind of help.
2: No, it's not. And that was that was a struggle. Once I finally did get help and I got on some medication, I didn't talk about that experience with most of the people there because I knew how they would react to the whole like concept of antidepressants.
3: Because mm, yeah.
2: I'd yeah, you know, like <laughs> there's a lot of you know, well, you should just pray it away, or you know, Jesus can just...
0: fix it. Have you tried being more Jesus-y?
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't even going. I would. I didn't go to chapel like. <laughs> <laughs> so. well
0: you really should have tried being yeah that energy. that's really wow. the problem that's
2: <laughs> that's
1: where the problem begins and ends right there
2: yeah. exactly
0: yeah have you tried just doing more chapel like i know you're working on your master's thesis and you're in immigration limbo but like have you yeah. gone to church this week
2: well Every i did go to, we did go to church um and I would get through like the worship stuff. And then we were Lutheran, So I'd get through the confession because for some reason that made me feel a little bit better. And then we'd get to the sermon. And then I'd usually just like fall asleep on my spouse's shoulder for the <laughs> nice entire <Saturday>. sermon. <laughs> <laughs> you and got through I, what
0: you needed to get through. It's fine.
2: <laughs> I know. At the time, I assumed that it was just because I was tired because I was in grad school. But now I'm like, that was probably the depression. <laughs> <laughs> Dissociation. You worship. you did the confession
0: oh, yeah. now it's time for a nap
2: i'm I like mean, okay god, god i feel bad god forgives me okay nap time yeah.
1: Diso- dissociative naps are truly a lifesaver in these kinds yeah. of circumstances
2: yeah yeah and i ended up talking to like a counselor at our church because it was free and So I met with her for a few months and she's like, I think you're depressed. You need to go talk to the doctor about drugs. And I was like, I don't like the idea of drugs. And she's like, go talk to the doctor, please. So I went and talked to the doctor (laughs) and I was like, I'm feeling like this, but I don't want drugs. And he's like, okay, try like more exercise, try this, try that. And he's like, if that doesn't help, please come back and get drugs. And so a few months (laughs) later, I was like, okay, fine. I I, I will take the drugs, please. -hmm. That's
0: that's good. Yes. Yeah. Drugs are good.
2: They are. They are, they are, they so are really good. I, I appreciate them very much. I went off the drugs when I was pregnant because I, the ones that I was on could affect lung development.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, And then I went back on them when my daughter was about mm, 18 months old. And I've been on them since. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: you dodged a major bullet here.
2: Yeah, I feel like because, uh, and I'm recently diagnosed with ADHD, which is probably one of the reasons why I was depressed, because untreated ADHD reliably leads to depression and anxiety. Yeah. Yep. So, oh. so,
1: executive function,
2: dysfunction, oh. self-loathing problems. Yeah. 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 Yes. And because of that, I feel like it probably would have been a really bad idea for me to join Wycliffe because I think my mental health would have just continued to get worse. And shortly after my daughter was born, I started seriously deconstructing my faith. And I feel like that would have happened regardless of where I was. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But it would have been really
0: interesting if it happened while you were trying to translate a Bible.
2: It would have been. Well that's happened so- actually. There there's a guy who wrote a memoir about his experience of uh, being a Bible translator and then deconstructing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And he's like, so I'm an atheist now. And
1: <laughs> we'll like, we'll um we'll ask you to send us the link to that so we can put it in the show notes.
2: Yeah, I'll have to see if I can find that. Um I've read it quite a while ago, so I'll have
1: to I'm just thinking also about like my experience in Peace Corps and like how having only community that is through your, your expat job extremely frustrating because Uh you're like trying to make friends out of colleagues and like your emotional support system is so far Uh away. And like all of this stuff is just so
2: Uh rough
1: on the mental health just by the nature of the work. And so to have to do that kind of, you know, be in that kind of environment and have that, Mm -hmm. that mental situation. It's like, it's really, it's really hard. Like I know Peace Corps is like really retrograde about how they treat mental health stuff, but like, they're not wrong in that. Like, it's not a great environment if you're, if you're not mentally like in tip top shape.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, 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 the, I remember the, woman the older woman I mentioned earlier at the workshop that I'd attended who had spent a bunch of years in South America and she was single and had been single her whole life and her partner for doing the translation work was another woman who was also single and I remember her describing that as an unnatural relationship
0: um, <laughs> they're just gals being pals
2: probably like i i I don't know i kind of get that vibe but again i don't know but she was like you know you have because she's like you're depending on this one person for all of your emotional support and uh and you're not married and
0: i'm like (laughs) (laughs) well
2: yeah so i like i have a feeling it was (laughs) definitely that doesn't even work when you are married (laughs) right no yeah it's but that is another thing is, is that missions organizations like this are attractive to queer people in the Christian community who don't feel like they can be out for whatever reason. And yes. so you get people who are gay, who are single, and it's like, well, you're single because you're a missionary and you're committed to Jesus.
0: And right.
2: you can justify staying single and not being in a heterosexual relationship because of that.
0: just like jim elliott just like jim elliott this is where i was going to i was like "Hmm." (laughs) sounds familiar yeah
1: marriage marriage to him was a distraction yeah
2: which is why he he didn't propose to to, to bet for so long yeah yeah but you also get people who want to get married and are straight or at least bisexual and Mm -hmm they end up staying single because they're in an environment that limits their choices regarding a romantic relationship.
1: Mm Yeah. Yeah. It's really tough. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So I guess my sort of other question is like, how does, if you're like part of Wycliffe, like do they send you on missions and like to random areas? Like it's not really something you get to choose. They're just like, Oh, Hey, here's a spot. Go. Go. Or like, what is, what is it like if you would have joined Wycliffe, what would that have entailed?
2: So I would have talked to them about what my educational background was and potentially where I felt called to and where, and also talked about what they had available for in the areas that I was interested in working in. And then there probably would have been some further language education. So I probably would have done, had to go and like, learn, like, one of the majority languages for the area that I was going to be working in. And then, uh, then I would have gotten sent. um, So I might have gotten sent overseas to do language learning first, and then sent to wherever my target area was. So I had a professor who did something like that. So she did her undergrad. And she did her master's and joined Wycliffe. And they said, okay, well, you know, you're interested in these areas. We've got openings in this spot. Uh, She she worked in Cameroon for a while. And so they're like, we're going to send you to Switzerland to learn French. And then we're going to send you back to Cameroon. And she only actually ended up spending a few years working in Cameroon because there was some uh, destabilization in the area that uh, they'd sent her to. So then Wycliffe like, transferred her back stateside and she did her PhD and then she ended up teaching for a while. So people get shuff- can get shuffled around a lot depending on the circumstances uh, of where they mm. are. You also get some people who are doing more remote work. So one of the instructors at the school really wanted to work overseas, but they're like, well, we just don't have something that'll be a good fit for you or for whatever reason, it just wasn't working out but he managed to get uh, some remote work. So basically he would get sent like language data to analyze from teams. And he, uh, cause he was a phonologist. So he specialized in uh, language sound systems. So he would analyze the data and then write that up and then send his findings back to them. Eventually he did get post- He and his family did get posted overseas, but I remember he, he, cause he taught the undergrad phonology class and he did not enjoy teaching. But that was kind
3: of
1: overplayed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really I I know we we need to wrap up, but I just mm-hmm. I wish there were stories from the locals about their experiences having someone from Wycliffe coming in. I know I'm sure they exist. Like I just I'd love to like find them and read them because I bet mm-hmm. I bet that's a really wild Experience and probably a really negative one in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah, it's hard to say. Like, I don't know. Like, again, depending on how remote these communities are, those people might be telling their stories to each other, but they might they're not going to be telling them on the internet necessarily. And and Uh, then
1: like the uh, the language, their like language access to the written word and the outside world is going through this like outsider white person.
2: Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah, I. It would be a really interesting thing to talk to somebody about their experiences from the other side of that. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, w- I would be really interested to hear what that looked like as well. Because if somebody yeah. just showed up and was like, "Hey, you need this because otherwise the my God is going to send you to hell," yeah, <laughs> like, right. Like, like, I don't know. it Seems <laughs> sketchy to me. <laughs>
0: Uh like who are you where did you come from and who the fuck are you talking about because this this doesn't match anything i've heard for the last Mm -hmm. however many centuries i've lived in this country yeah yeah like that's just such a the further away from christianity i get the more i'm like that is just such a rude like proposition yeah like Hey, you better accept this or you're going to die because the God I believe in says so and your God is wrong. It's like, my mom said this, so obviously your mom is wrong. It's like, it's no.
2: Yeah. Who are you
0: and who made you the arbiter of truth?
1: And now I'm going to come live in your house and like tell you how to talk about yourself and your relationship to yourself and the world. Right. (laughs) mm, Yeah.
0: (laughs) Not great. Not great, guys. How dare you? Why did you decide that you could do this?
2: Yeah. When Um, I was still a believer, I felt like my take on evangelism was, is that, well, if God is universal, then there's a space for him in every culture. And it's a matter mm -hmm. of finding where that space is and finding how that, how he fits there with these people. But now that's I'm a basic like,
1: heresy, isn't it?
2: <laughs> but it seemed to make. I think sense that's one of me. the. I think that's
1: one of the elemental ones. I don't remember which one, but I feel like that's one of them.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I wasn't a big um. Like, I don't know. I was Lutheran, <laughs> and then I was Anglican, and then it was nothing. But uh, yeah, that's yeah. So particularly with the anglican church they're a lot more willing to, to tolerate people who don't quite fit the mold yeah uh, so
1: which is one of their 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 perks yeah
2: yes Although here in BC we do have the the branch of the Anglican Church thats split over gay marriage. so there's like the the group that is Anglican, but they're not part of the local diocese because yeah uh, well in
1: in the states yeah. that's the churches that call themselves Anglican are the that that splinter faction and the yeah. ones that are Episcopalian are the ones that are not
2: yeah. But yeah. Anyway, that's a that's another podcast. <laughs> that, that's, another day. That, that that's another a whole other <laughs> that episode. Is, there. Yeah. It is.
1: Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about this experience of yours. Um, such yeah. a, a niche area, but it's it's important to well, yeah, understand.
0: It's, it's such a core like part of sort of evangelicalism is missionary work and like Mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of that stems from Wycliffe work and no one really knows about it so it's nice to actually know that one it exists and what they do (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. yes they're like my experiences with the education side of it were pretty positive like most of the teachers I had there were good and really and like really valued the Uh, field of linguistics just like the academic side of it but then there's like the whole other side to the organization and that part was not great so
1: yeah well if people want to ask you more questions or find you online do you have any handles you want to share or anything
2: I have an Instagram Uh, it's currently set to private right now because I was getting way too many like random people who wanted to, like, sell me NFTs, trying to... Oh, <laughs> <yeah>.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> but uh, if you want to find me on Instagram, it's charis uh, underscore chana17 uh, because I created that, like, internet handle when I was a linguistics... still a linguistics mm-hmm. geek who was taking Greek and Hebrew, and Khana mm. and charis are basically the translations of my name's meaning in Greek and Hebrew.
1: They mean nice. Grace. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I can give you like the spelling of that to stick in your show notes if you want. Yes,
0: please send me the link yeah. to that because I yeah. I will not be able to write that out. <laughs> German has broken my brain with spelling and pronunciation and now like I get German and English words and spellings all mixed up in my head. It's really rude.
2: Oh no, it's well, happening.
0: <laughs> it's glowing. happening. I
2: know. Yeah. They're well, they're related, so you know that's that makes it fun. (laughs) Uh,
1: Well, thank you for joining us. Thanks y'all for listening. Um,
0: Thanks for having me. This has been really fun.
2: Yeah. Good to talk to you guys. It was fun to take a trip down memory lane.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was a weird one. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening, everyone. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Cult podcast. Our music is from the track Janet by the Bend the Heavens on their album Nazo. Our producer is Dave the Great. Our podcast is made possible by Patreon donations from listeners like you. To support us and join our community on Slack, check out patreon.com slash Pod. Thanks for listening.